it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. And welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin. And I'm the one, James. And we are finally to chapter 10 of The Great Hunt. The hunt begins. And it's going to probably pick up a little speed in terms of the story, I think. Um, until at least they... I always found this to be more of the, the beginning part of the great adventure, so to speak. But... So the actual adventure as opposed to like the tutorial just, well more like instead of just sitting around chit-chatting this is like what actually is action adventure going out seeing a bit of the world experiencing what the what the the continent in the, the wheel of time universe is like because now they're actually going to do stuff and they're going to be potentially meeting people along the way that explain things to them and whatnot like it's it's actually them going out and doing stuff as opposed to just being led around by the nose by an Aes Sedai or something and not really actually being adventurous and I don't know it just it's it's where to me the actual like excitement begins I guess um but we'll just have to see I suppose so uh quick recap for chapter nine um Obviously, they were getting prepped to leave uh, Faldara, um, and there was a assassination attempt, but of who, the world may never know. I mean, we know, but <laughs> other than that, um, so they're they're packing up, getting their groups. They got the Amelin seats returning to Tarvalin. Ingtar and his group is going to chase after the the Horn of Valir and matt's dagger and also bale doman we get a little bit of him which i always find fun um somebody's trying to have him killed essentially and take his stuff and he's wondering what they're trying to take from him and we learn that he's got some heartstone or quindiar that they don't know about so yeah um now at the beginning of chapter 10 we're back to ingtar's party and i believe the entirety of this chapter is ingtar's party so yes it is. if I, I just read it not too long ago so i should remember that but i don't know i, I read too much um so basically they ingtar sets a pace it's they got a lot of the day left but it's a really heavy pace like he's trying to catch them really quickly um, and there's the order. I'm not going to really go into the order of who's sitting where, but essentially Rand's up front with Huron and Ingtar and his friends are in the back. Um, Rand wants to apologize to them, but there's not many chances he can do so. Um, they get to the top of a hill. Uno dismounts and looks around. Uno, everyone's lovable swear word, man. Um, gets down, looks at some tracks, is like, well, they're moving bloody fast, and they're not using horses, but they're bloody trollocs and flaming goat feet over there, and, you know, everyone who loves Uno loves him for his mouth. Um, 
but he's also a really, really good soldier. So they mount back up, start chasing after him again, but we're like, Uno's like, hey, Lord Ingtar probably shouldn't run our horses to death trying to catch up to these guys because they're not going to have an issue keeping away from us if we have no horses because we kill ours. He's like, well, we'll still do it. And they keep going for a bit. And it's, we get a little bit of history from Rand's perspective about Uno and Masima, where Uno doesn't show like super friendliness to really anybody, but other, some other grizzled veterans like himself. But Masima is like open hostility. Um, so Uno just kind of like, is very thoughtful about everything and constantly throughout the chapter we'll look at Rand so I'm not going to mention every single time that happens but there are parts where he's keeping an eye on Rand and will hold his gaze and we'll go from there um the direction that the horn is going with the dark friends doesn't seem to go near villages and whatnot it just kind of bounces between them and is constantly moving constantly moving and they see farms and whatnot now keep in mind we're in territory basically where we're leaving shinar and it's not controlled territory it's it's basically the, the great frontier where if you live here live at your own risk create your own communities create your own guards whatever you're not going to be protected by a monarch or something or a lord um and they see all this stuff but they never really get close to even see anything and huron's not smelling anybody nearby so ingtar finally realizes that they have to slow down so obviously ingtar's upset about this but he realizes that you know we're gonna have to dismount and go at a walk because the horses can't keep up and then they kind of switch back between trot and riding for a mile. And um, Loyal seems to be enjoying walking on the ground, but he was originally, in Eye of the World, cautious about riding a horse, and he always prefers to be on his own feet. And I don't really blame him, considering how quick he is on his feet. Um, but Loyal is boasting that he was the fastest in setting Shang Tai, and he even outran a horse once. Um, which, considering how big he is in his stride, shouldn't be very difficult. Uh, no, no, no. Since his stride is literally like a full, like one gallop of a horse is one stride of loyal. So, um, But the real question is, does he have the stamina to continually outrun the horse? Um... The Shinarans are heavily armored, and it just seems like they're not going. They must be veterans because they're able to do all this quick face or quick paced, constant moving, and not um, basically not get tired and whatnot. So they're they're used to being. They're very war weary in terms of stamina. Like they they're very familiar with it, and they're veterans as it would appear, but. They finally keep a, a, a quick pace, nightfall happening and whatnot, but uh, Rand's trying to find some clothes to change out of because he's wearing not the greatest uh, ride or not, not the most casual travel gear. He's wearing very, very fancy stuff. And then 
when he opens it up, he basically gets like a shrill shout that every man in the camp, you know, whips out their weapons and is looking around and Ingtar comes running up. It's like, did somebody get through? I didn't see any of the guards. And Rand's just like a girl sitting there going, it's these coats, it's my clothes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, really not helping the whole argument of you're some frissy lord from the south. Just saying. Basically. But he's just like, the clothes, like, I wanted good, serviceable coats in here. Look at this. Angtar just, you know, puts his sword in back then and everyone else settles back down. He's like, well, they are ser serviceable. It's like, I can't wear these. I can't dress like this all the time. It's like, oh, sure you can. A coat's a coat. And then Moraine said, I herself saw to the packing and everything. And I guess they don't, I said, I don't really understand what men wear in the field, but after we catch the Trollocs, perhaps we'll have a feast and you'll be dressed for it. At least if the rest of us are not. So, okay. I read that as very sarcastic. <laughs> he was definitely having fun sarcastic. with it. He, he's definitely having yeah, fun with it at Rand's expense. As sarcastic as each kind of can get, I guess. Uh, he's, he's just having fun at Rand's expense is all it really is. Yeah. And um, Rand's, Rand's, stuck there thinking about Moraine. He's like, oh, is she trying to use me through this or whatever? He's he's trying to see how she would be using him. But here's the funny part is, is that he spends so much time thinking about how she's using him that she doesn't realize that if he is being used by her, he wouldn't see it because he's too focused on trying to find it. And she probably isn't dumb enough to make it so obvious if she was doing that. So it's, it's I know it's 40 chess, probably even fighting chess at this point, but um so there's an extra dimension you just don't see it <laughs> that's that's the whole point um so they 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 get around to get some grub and whatnot the shinarans were taking turns cooking while they you know in the field and whatnot this time masima's stirring the kettle and Rand showed up to get some food and uh masima took uh the ladle and tried to slopped it into Rand's plate and Rand stepped back try to keep from all the excess like splatter from getting on his coat um, and try to make room for the next man while, you know, sucking on a burned thumb. And Masima's kind of giving him a, a fixed grin. That's not a friendly grin, but probably the, uh, you know, like you deserve more than that type of thing, but also like laughing at his dismay and his uncomfortableness. But then Uno shows up and just cuffs Masima on the back of the head. <laughs> I gotta say this phrase because it's great. We didn't bloody bring it up for you to be spilling it on the flaming ground. <laughs> I love Uno so much. Um, and Uno just looks at Rand and then leaves. And Masima rubs his ear but is like glaring at Rand. Eventually Rand goes and joins Ingtar and Loyal. And they're, you know, sitting under a tree and whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, Angtar, you know, has his helmet off, which, I mean, would make sense if you're eating. But aside from that, he's basically fully armored. And Matt and Perrin were there eating. And uh, Matt sneers at Rand's coat, obviously. Perrin barely glances up and then glances back down to his plate. And he's, Rand's at least relieved that they didn't leave this time. Um, I'm trying not to pull all the leave puns for, for like what we had from last week with leave takings. And now mm. we have leave, 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 leave popping up everywhere, but they're there. Um, but Rand, you know, talks to Ingtar and just kind of like, 
makes a comment. He's like, well, I wish I knew why Uno keeps looking at me. It's probably this bloody coat. And Ingtar paused around. And he's like, well, he probably wonders if you're worthy of the Heronmark blade. And of course, Matt snorts. But Ingtar goes on. He's like, you know, don't let it upset you. He'd treat Lord Agomar like a raw recruit if he could. Well, maybe not Agomar, but anyone else. And he has a tongue like a file, but he gives good advice. And he should, because he's been campaigning since before I was even born. So when he tells you something, listen to it. Just don't mind his tongue, and you'll do pretty good with Uno. And then Rand makes that unfortunate comparison between Uno and Masima. He's like, well, I thought he was like Masima. Um, and Masima acts like he hates me, and I just I, I can't understand why. And here we get the explanation as why Masima's been treating Rand the way he's been treating him for this long. It's like, Masima served three years in the Eastern Marches at Anchordale against the idea, the Aiel. He's like, I don't ask any questions, mind. If Landai Shannon and Moraine Sedai say you are from Andor from the Two Rivers, then you are. But Masima can't get the look of the Aiel out of his head, and when he sees you, well, I don't ask questions. And Rand's like, everybody thinks I'm somebody I'm not. I'm from the Two Rivers, Ingtar. I grew to back with my father and tended to sheep. That's, that's it. I'm a farmer and shepherd. Matt's like, yeah, he is from the Two Rivers. I grew up with him, though you'd never know it now. Put this IEL nonsense in his head on top of what he already is, and, you know, Light knows what else we'll have. And, you know, an IEL lord, probably. I'll have you pick up this part, good sir. Alright. No, this is really going to do havoc in my throat, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> no. Loyal said. He has the look. Remember Rand. I remarked on it here once. Though I thought it was he just because I didn't know he, you humans well enough then. Remember? Till shade is gone. Till water is gone. Till the shadow with teeth bared. Screaming defiance even the last breath. To spit in sight blind his eye on the last day. You remember Rand? Rand is dead as played. Okay, here's Shufa, right? Yep, Shufa. Rand's dead as played. Wrap a Shufa around your head. You would be the image of an Aeelman. Evan Gorwin, brother to Elaine, the daughter heir of Randor. Everybody thinks I'm somebody I'm not. What was that? Matt, Matt asked. About being the Dark One's eye? That's how long the Aeoli is here they'll fight, Ingtar said. And I don't doubt here they will. Except for peddlers and gleemen, Aeol divide the world in two. Aeol and enemies. They changed here that evil in Kyrian 500 years ago. For some reason, no one here but the Aeol would understand. But I do not... But I do not hear you think you will ever do so again. I suppose not. Loyal side. But I do let you the Tuathar, the traveling people across the waste. And they don't hear see Ogier as enemies either. Though I doubt any of us who do want to go out into the waste. Are you will come to studying each. Shanghai. Shanghai. Shang, Shang I had either one in my head, it's just not. <laughs> I all come to studying. 
Chang Tai. Sometimes to trade for your poor Sunwood. A hard people, though. Ingtar nodded. I wish I had these on as hard. Half as hard. Is that a joke? Matt laughed. If I ran a while wearing all the iron you're wearing, I would be fully down into your sleep a week. You've been in. You'd be down into your mile, mile after mile all day. Are you a hard? Ingtar said. Man and woman. Hard. I fought them. I know. It will run 50 miles and be a fighter battle at the end of it. Their death walking with any weapon or none. Except a sword. It will not touch a sword. For some reason. Or ride a horse. Not that they need to. If you have a sword, now your man has his bare hands. He doesn't even fight. If you're good. They heard cattle and goats eat whether you or I would eat I for thirsty before the day was done. They dig their villages into huge rocky spires out of the waste. If you've been here, they've been here since the breaking, near enough. Arthur Hawkwing, he tried to dig them out, he, and he was he bloodied. The only major defeat he ever suffered. By day, the only ill waste he shimmers with heat. By night, it freezes. And Ail will give you that he blew right stare and tell you there was no place on earth he would rather be. He won't be lying either. If they ever tried to come out, would he be hard pressed to stop them? Thail war lasted three years, and it was only four out of the thirteen clans. Grey eyes from his mother doesn't make him an Ail, Matt said. Ingtar shrugged. As I said, ask no questions. When Randy finally settled it down here for the night, his head hung with unwanted thoughts. Image of an Aeel. Aeelman. Marines and I want to say you're in from two rivers. Aeel ravaged all the way to Tarvalan. Born in the suburbs of the Dragon Mount. The Dragon Reborn. Good stuff. So, we finally learned about the Aeel. Oh, I already knew about him. <laughs> oh, oh, of course you did. <laughs> There's a reason they're one of my favorite, if not my favorite group in the entirety of the Wheel of Time. They're just, they're awesome. Yeah, in I, way. I see why. They're, they're ridiculous in a good way. They're about as close to superheroes as you get, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the Aiel have a vendetta against the Dark One, which is the whole spit and sight blinders eye on the last day. Um, but they also have a vendetta basically against everybody except for like Peddler's Gleeman, Tuatha, Anna, No Gear. And that's a very, 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 very small amount of people that they actually I'm don't despise. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just here right the key, just the groundskeeper Willie me. Well, just because he like, hey, uh, just the, the Scotsman and everyone else here, like the Welsh and the Scots, the, the Irish and the Scots. And the Scots and other Scots. Damn Scots. You're <laughs> <own> Scotland. <laughs> to be fair, it is the, the Scots. Aiel, it, is, 
it's down my eel. You ruined the waste. Basically, not wrong. Although I would say the IEL are more unified than that in most aspects. Um, well, they're still inclined to play other, sadly, some division. They're still what? Still some division. Well, not really. I mean, the clan heads just come together and do things. Like there, there are clan divisions in terms of like they'll have skirmishes amongst each other because they fight over water or something in the waste, but it's never like full blown out all war and stuff. Um, and they probably because of their honor bound system that it prevents them from doing that. But we'll learn all about that stuff later on. So it's great. Um, but I just wanted to point out like for this part as a reading, just due to like explain to people how amazing the IEL are and how uh, inferior basically every other fighting force is on the earth where, you know, they'll run 50 miles and fight about the end of it, like 50 miles, the average military at, on average, could maybe go twenty miles, the in, in a day. Um, one like with like a force march or something might go thirty, maybe a little bit more than thirty, and that's them like out of breath when they arrive, which is usually a bad position to be in to fight a battle. They'll run fifty, pretty easily, and then fight a whole battle at the end of it. That's that's legit. Um, they're practically masters of martial arts, but they mostly use short bows. Uh, I think that maybe you're like horn bows or whatever. Um, and spears and they carry multiple short spears with them. They don't use full spears, only short spears. And they use multiples of them to like stab somebody or throw it at somebody or whatever, and then move on to the next target and whatnot. And they can probably recover as they go, but they use small bucklers. They don't, they don't do heavy armor and stuff these guys are literally in just uh, pretty much leathers and woolens and stuff like they don't they don't wear any protection but they're just good at what they do just sturdy clothing yeah sturdy clothing that's good for being out in the waste and aside from the shufa which again is just cloth wrapped around their head they have a veil that covers their face when they're doing battle that's it it's quite literally it. No, no armor, no plate mail, no chain mail, no nothing. And these guys can go for forever. Um, we learn a little bit about their their lifestyle. They herd cattle and goats, basically in places most people would die. Um, they dig villages into huge rock spires in the waste. Um, they've been there pretty much since the breaking. So like 3,000 years is pretty much how long they've been there. Um, Arter Hawkwing, the most historically well-known conqueror of the known world couldn't fight him or couldn't win against him. Um, kind of reminds me of every time everybody attacks Russia in the winter, just kind of like that's a stupid move. Um, but I mean, it's like literally just wait till spring. No, no, we have to go in the winter. Oh, no, okay. it's hot. Ah. Yeah. But um, I think that's that's basically the thing is like it's it's super hot in the day, super cold at night, just like if you were to like the Sahara Desert or something. That's it's just the way it is. Um, and the Aiel War lasted three years, and that was only four out of 13 clans. And that's them not even really trying like four clans, not even trying, went through, sacked Kyrian, killed their king, um, pretty much demolished Kyrian to the point where they had to like pretty much rebuild it. And pushed all the way up to Tarvalin. No idea why they went to Tarvalin. 
just that they did. So they basically came over the Dragon Wall, hit Kyrian, and then went straight north. Three years of that. And they just decided, all right, time to leave. We did what it came for. It's like, that's insane because it was only four out of 13 clans. And I bet they didn't even try that hard. Because if they tried, they would have just went whoop right over everybody. But that's a lot of really cool stuff about the IEL, and I just love hearing about the IEL. So pardon my excitement. Yeah, I, I can see why. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I guess you know, they kind of like um, I guess you like quite a lot of uh, you know you know how like we kind of almost venerate he like certain warrior cultures like the Spartans and stuff like that. They're kind of like that in like this kind of setting. Uh, I mean, they're they're a powerful fighting force like the Spartans were, albeit you know, kind of the Spartans like the kind of ruined themselves. Sort of. Yeah, they're they're well kind known. We just say like, oh, the, the, these guys were just like it, like indestructible during their day. Well, it's also like this this concept of like. What is known about the Aiel is pretty much what they know from fighting them. Everything else, they they might as well be a mystery. They don't know hardly anything outside of this little bit. Like, this is a small, just cultural entry into, like, understanding the Aiel. It's not even, like, a super in-depth dive about their culture. It, it's not even going into, like, all the little details, what they believe, why they believe it, how they're culture works and everything it just basically goes in the fact that like yeah war-based stuff that's all we really know about them <laughs> they could survive that's it and there's a lot of things people say in the series that will be like oh this is about the IEL and it's pretty much blatantly false because that's just the people don't know they think they know but they don't know so um in the morning they uh break camp after having breakfast and they're following the trail still south, and then they find an abandoned camp, and they show up to the camp, and ashes campfires hidden in the trees, um, remnants of meal thrown all over, um, refuse heap, all that type of stuff. But Ingtar keeps everyone back, dismounts, and goes through with Uno to examine everything, to see like you know what's going on. Heron goes around the campsite to. Uh, sniff and see if he can figure out which direction they're going and everything. And uh, Matt's like, is that what a dark friend camp looks like? Smells a bit, but it doesn't look any different from everybody else. And he kicks at some ash heaps and gets a burned bone. And he's like, what are dark friends eat? Doesn't look like a sheep bone or a cow. And Heron's just like, yeah, there's murder down here. And then Ingtar looks straight at Matt and goes, there were Trollocs here. I suppose they got hungry. The dark friends were handy. And then Matt just drops the bone. He's like, ah! It looks like he's about to get sick. Um, See, I, I instantly called that the second he started like going through the bones. Yeah. So like, There's going to be a skull there. There wasn't a skull, just a burnt bone. And he is Ingtar that what triggered him to drop it. Uh, you know, something like that. So he's just like, oh, you know, dark friends. Turns out they're actually quite tasty. Yeah, and they uh, start getting up. They're like, let's let's mount up. And then they go about an hour later, and then Huron stops. And he's like, well, they changed direction, and they killed someone else here. So they find a body in a few minutes, and it's a guy curled up, stuffed under some bushes. And the back of his head smashed in, and his eyes are bulged from the force of the blow. But no one knows who he is, even though he's wearing Chinaran clothes. Um, and Ingtar's like, we're not going to bury dark friends, because that'd be a waste of time. Let's go south. 
and pretty much before he even finished saying that, he's already heading south. Um, and basically the days kind of mix, mix and match the same kind of thing, like repetitive, like they stop, see a camp, murder done, go a little bit further. Oh, look, murder done up oh, another camp, murder done, you know, over and over and over and over again. Um, they find another, they get one body and then they'd see another person's body with a skull split up and by an ax, another one change direction. It's like every time that the person dies, they change direction. Um, it's like they're going west, south, west, south, um, changing directions. And they get closer and closer to their prey, but Ingtar's still, like, impatient and upset about it. Um, he's like, let's just cut across the trail and in the morning, so they'll come across the trail heading south again. Um, but before anyone says anything, he's like, ah, never mind, it's a bad idea, and they don't do it. We don't, and then he would be like, "Well, if we uh, change the direction, and we, you know, miss it or something, we'll be in trouble." And uh, he's like, "We're not gonna stop, and we're gonna we're gonna get everything." And Uno's kind of just falling along with him, but Uno's trying. It's like starting to think that Ingtar's losing it. But then they get to the River Aranin, and they see a village. But it's not really a village. It's kind of like a dozen houses. So not even like not even a village. Um, not many people come this direction. Um, it's it's a river that it has its own ferry and everything, so they can get across and whatnot. Um, but it's it's sixty paces wide of swift water heading to the far bank and it's got lots of trees and what It'd be a perfect place to get ambushed and whatnot. But Uno brings that up to Ingtar and Ingtar, you know, gave him orders to, you know, do their thing. And the Shinarans get their lances and they sweep around, circle the houses and whatnot. And they all come in to the village from four directions and looking around and they just realize it's everything's empty. And Perrin's like, this place smells wrong. And Hearn gives him a look because, you know, Hearn's the sniffer here. Um, and Uno's like, bloody dark friends and Trollocs went straight through. They went straight to the goat fishing, the goat kissing fairy, which they bloody left on the other side. Blood and bloody ashes were flaming lucky they didn't cut it adrift. Now, the ironic part about the cutting it adrift part is like, people think this is like a plot hole of some sort. It's actually not a plot hole because we'll find out later a little bit more about the group they're chasing. But just tuck it away for later. This is by design. Um, it's not based off of, you know, anything else, really. It's it's literally on purpose. Um, and then Loyal asks a pretty good question. Where are the people? Like, windows are open, curtains flapping around, doors are open, but no one's showed out, even with all the horsemen going around well Ingtar tells them to search the houses and whatnot and they go out and they come back like nope they're just gone and Uno's I love Uno's lines just bloody gone like they picked up and decided to flame and walk away in the middle of the bloody day and he's like 
oh, there's a woman. How did I bloody miss her? And he goes running towards the house. And Intar's like, don't frighten her. We need information. The light blinds you. Uno. Don't frighten her. It's like, I mean, he's a pretty frightening looking guy with one eye. And there's an eye on his eye patch. And it's just kind of creepy. Um, so he shows, he's like, or Ingtar just yells at the house, like, we're not going to harm you, lady. We just, we're Lord Agamar's Oathman from Valdara. Don't be afraid. We're not going to harm you. And then a house window flows up and Uno pops his head out and is like, gone, my lord. She's there. A woman in white dress. The window. I saw her. I even saw her inside for a moment. Then she was gone. And he takes a breath and he's like, the house is empty, my lord. And he's so agitated, he forgets to swear. Like, that's that's insane. Uh, uh, now we know this stuff is serious. Basically. And Matt's like, you're jumping at bloody curtains. And Uno just <laughs> gives him a look that obviously isn't pleasant. But Rand asked Loyal, but where did they go? Did they think they ran off in the dark, friends? And, you know, Loyal's like... I, 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 I just see like, the idea of uh, Uno just to, like, kind of point him at just be like, don't swear. <laughs> no. <laughs> Swearing's my gig. You can't do that. Um, but... There's no <laughs> Rand's like, where did they go? Maybe they left when the Dark Friends came. And Loyal's like, I'm afraid the Dark Friends took them, Rand, for the Trollocs. And then, you know, pretty much glad he didn't throw up. At least Rand's glad he didn't throw up. Um, and Inktar's like, whatever happened here, that it was the Dark Friends who did it. Hearing, was there violence here? Killing? And Sniffer's like, well, there's violence. Killing? Not really. He's like, I've not really smelled something like this before, but there was hurting done. Um, have they crossed over? He's like, oh, they crossed. They crossed, but on the other side, whatever they did, he doesn't really know. Singtar's like, all right, Uno, I want the ferry back on the side, and I want the other side scattered before we cross. Um, there was no ambush here. doesn't mean there won't be one when we get split by the river. And the ferry doesn't look big enough to carry us all in one trip. So Uno goes and takes care of that. And um, Ragan and Masima were helping each other out of their armor. They get down to their breaches and with a dagger behind the small of their back, they just plopped over to the other side and get across to the other side and bring back the ferry. Um, and, yeah, so they get back um, after they scout and stuff and they finally come back and with the ferry and everything and they basically, Masima ties it off. Ragan shows up to Ingtar, and he's like, got to pay off fast. He's like, there's no ambush, but, oh, you got to see this. It's 50 paces south from the landing, and then I can't even say the words. you got to see it yourself. So Ingtar is like, hmm. And, all right, you did well, both of you guys. So get something for these guys to dry themselves, Uno. Um, see if anybody left any water on for tea. Because <laughs> that's important right now. Um, put something hot into them if well, you can. Obviously, you know, you, you can't go on without tea. I, you British people, you. Um, and they, oh, well, I'm sorry, you yank. You, you should be. Um, <laughs> um, didn't see that one, did you? No, no, I, I kind of did. <laughs> so they bring the, the second file, the, the other half of the group, and the pack animals, and they head over to the other side, and they're like, we'll see you on the other side of the urn. Um, so they head over and um, Rand kind of reminiscences like why he's doing what he's doing and (laughs) 
Matt's comment about having to find it, aka the dagger, um, is part of the whole push to get him here. And Rand's like, well, even though Matt looks healthy, I still have to find the dagger. I give Ingtar the horn, and then I just want to get the dagger for Matt. And Matt, he or Rand tells Matt, like, we're going to find it, Matt. So Matt kind of scowls at him with a sneering glance at the red coat and then just turns away. And Rand's like, ah, oh, really? And Loyal's just like, it'll come with time. Just give him some time. It'll all go. And and I, I think the explanation of I have nothing else to wear fits quite well. Well, it's the fact that he has it to begin with is what annoys him. And why they didn't get me as well. Well, you know. I think also the second explanation of all my other stuff was bad. Yeah, yeah. fits quite well. Yeah, well, again, they're still upset at the fact that he has that clothes, because Moraine specifically made him have that clothes, but Moraine didn't do the same for Perrin and him. Burn you, Matt. Why do you have it to be difficult? <sighs> because he doesn't like snobs, I guess. I don't know. But then Perrin, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, is just like, hey, this is how we left home at Tarn Ferry, you know? Fairman's boots clunking on the deck and water gurgling on a ferry, and this is how we left. It's going to be worse this time. It's like, how can it be worse? And Perrin doesn't answer. But then Matt asks a second later, like, how can it be worse? Oh, it just can be. Perrin's like, I can just smell it. And then Huron just... Okay, now you're just being a bat. <laughs> and then <laughs> Huron's just eyeing him nervously, but then Huron, you know, is eyeing everything nervously since they left. Um, and you know, they finally bump against the other bank and everything, and you know, they send it back to get the other guys. Ingtar's like 50 paces to a big stone oak, so and if Ragan couldn't speak of it, so some of the soldiers ease their swords out of their backs and you know, get their lances ready. And Rand shows up and sees these figures hanging by their arms and thick gray limbs on a stone oak were scarecrows, crimson scarecrows. But then he realizes who they are. It's Changu and Nadal. Eyes staring, teeth bared, and rictus pain, and they had lived a long time after it had begun. And Perrin makes a growling yeah. nose in his throat, and Karen's like, oh, I'm going to faint. <laughs> and it's as bad as he's ever smelled, except in the dungeons of Valdara that night. So Rand's trying to like find the void, just like not think about it or whatever, and you know, he's getting really, really, really queasy. And he hears somebody say, skinned alive, and then somebody else just starts retching. And it's probably Matt, but he's too far away from him to really know. But there's this nauseousness that's trying to build up. And Ingtar's like, you know, cut him down and bury him. Like, Can't really be sure they were dark friends. They could have been taken prisoner. They could have been. At least let him know the last embrace of the mother, at least, which is the whole Shinaran thing with the Earth being the last mother. Or the, the embrace, the last embrace of the mother is the earth. Um, and then some of the soldiers go forward with knives very, very cautiously. And even battled hard in Shinarns, it's not easy to see flayed corpses of people they know. And Ingtar asks Rand if he's all right. He's like, I'm not really used to this either. And Rand's like, uh, I'm all right. As he gets rid of the void, so he feels less sick about it. And Ingtar's like, okay. So they give him a simple burial. And then they do their incantation. Um, and Loyal explains that, you know, Shanarans believe we all come from the earth and must return to the earth. 
They never use coffins or shrouds. The bodies are never clothed. Um, the earth must hold the body. The last embrace of the mother, they call it. And there are never any words except the light shine on you and the creator shelter you. The last embrace of the mother welcome you home. And he's like, I don't think anybody will say that, say them this time, no matter what Ingtar says. Rand, there can't be much doubt that Changu and Nadal slew the guards at the dog gate and let the dark friends into the keep. It had to be that who they, they who were responsible for all of it. But then Rand's like, but then who shot the arrow at the Omerlin? And in his mind, he's like, who shot at me? But Loyal doesn't respond. Um, Uno shows up to explain that, you know, goat-kissing Trollocs do that along the Blight sometimes. And they want to shake your bloody nerve. Or Flaming warn you not to follow them. Burn me if it works here, either. But then they get ready to, you know, ride away, and he's... Ingtar's kind of going back on his previous comments, where he looks at the the two small mounds, and it says, the light shine on you, the creator shelter you, the last embrace of the mother welcome you home. And he raises his head, and he's like, nobody has any face, facial expressions, and he's like, they saved Lord Agamar at Tarwin's Gap. And several of the Lancers nodded, and he's like, which way, here? And they go, south. And they're like, take the trail, we hunt! And then, boom, they're going through from a forest into a rolling flatland, and they occasionally see farmhouses in the distance and whatnot, but um, then they actually find a farm territory that they kind of send scouts out for and everything. Like, we're going to reach the field of Taladar in three to four days at this rate, and that's where Arter Hawkwing's greatest single victory, when the Halfman led the Trollocs out of the blight against him. Six days and nights, and then it was done. Um, the Trollocs fled back into the blight and never dared challenge him again. He raised a monument there to his victory, a spire a hundred spans high, but he wouldn't let them put his name on it, but rather the names of every man who fell and a golden sun at the top, a symbol that there the light had triumphed over the shadow. And Loyal's like, well, I would like to see that. I've never heard of this monument. And Ingtar says nothing for a second, but then he says with a, vo a quiet voice, well, it's no longer there, Builder. If Haw When Hawkwing died, the ones who fought over his empire could not bear to leave a monument a victory of his, even if, even if it did not mention his name. There's nothing left but a mound where it stood and... Three or four days, we can see that at least. Um, but he, the sound of his tone did not leave him to really want to talk much. Um, but then they're going a little bit further, and then they uh, come across abandoned places and whatnot, and it looks like a manor house and whatnot. And I'm actually going to read this one myself a manor house Ingtar explained the little humor he had regained seemed to fade as he looked at the structure and Harad Dakar still stood I expect the manor men farmed this land for a league around orchards maybe the Hardani loved their orchards Harad Dakar? Rand said and Ingtar snorted does no one learn history any longer? Harad Dakar, the capital city of Hardin, which nation this once was that we are riding across. I've seen an old map, Rand replied in a tight voice. I know the nations that aren't there anymore. Moreto and Gobin and Caroline, but there wasn't any Hardin on it. 
There were once others that are gone now, too, Loyal said. Marhaddon, which is now Haddon Merk, and Armoth Kintara. The War of the Hundred Years out cut Ardahawkwing's empire into many nations, large and small. The small were gobbled by the large, or else united, like Altara and Murindi. Forced together would be a better word than united, I suppose. So what happened to them? Matt demanded. Rand had not noticed Perrin and Matt ride up to join them. They had been at the rear. As far from Randall Thor as they could get, last he had seen. They could not hold together, the Ogier replied. Crops failed or trade failed. People failed. Something failed in each case, and the nation dwindled. Often neighboring countries absorbed the land. When the nations were gone, but they never lasted. Those annexations. In time, the land truly was abandoned. Some villages hang on there, here and there, but mostly they have all gone to wilderness. It is nearly three hundred years since Harad Dakar was finally abandoned. But even before that, it was a shell, with a king who could not control what happened inside the city walls. Harad Dakar itself is completely gone now. I understand. All the towns and cities of Harden are gone, the stone carried away by farmers and villages for their own use. Most of the farms and villages made it with it are gone too. So I read, and I've seen nothing to change it. It was a quarry, quite a quarry, Harad Dakar. For almost a hundred years, Ingtar said bitterly. The people left, finally, and then the city was hauled away, stone by stone. All faded away. And what has not gone is fading. Everything, everywhere, fading. There's hardly a nation that truly controls the land it claims on a map. And there is hardly a land that claims today on a map what it did even a hundred years ago. When the War of the Hundred Years ended... A man rode from one nation into another without end from the blight to the sea of storms. Now he can ride through wilderness claimed by no nation for almost the whole of the land. We in the borderlands have our battle with the blight to keep us strong and whole. Perhaps they did not have what they needed to keep them strong. You say they failed, Builder? Yes, they failed. And what nation standing whole today will fail tomorrow? We are being swept away, humankind. Swept away like flotsam on a flood. How long until there's nothing left but the borderlands? How long before we, too, go under, and there's nothing left but Trollocs and Merdral all the way to the Sea of Storms? There was a shocked silence. Not even Matt broke it. Ingtar rode lost in his own dark thoughts. Is a bit deep and heavy. That make you fall asleep. <laughs> nah, fuck. Nah. Almost. Yeah, that was. Uh, nah, nah, that was actually quite um, kind of almost solemn, really. 
Just yeah. kind of reflection on that. Well, it explains a lot. Like, when you look at the map of the Wheel of Time and the continent and everything, you notice that once you go above Andor, you really have Tar Valen and uh, the Borderlands. And then, obviously, you have the Western Coast game, like, you know, Terabon, Almuth Plain, and Arad Daman, which Almuth Plain's just kind of, like, there. It's not even in a nation at this point. It's in between two nations fighting over who gets control of it, which is weird, because usually there'd be, like, a battle line, and then that would be your actual, like, country line. Um, but aside from that, there's a whole empty space in that area north of Andor and Kyrian that no one can lay claim to which is funny because you think that maybe the Aes Sedai would do that you think that they would be like we have such a big city let's add more space and grow out into it and whatnot they don't it's just weird but okay it's not like they can't control it because the more people means the more they have military wise to control it and then they can just keep going out and out as they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And as long as trade, because, I mean, they get river trade like nobody's business. So they get borderlands coming down to Tarvalin and then down to Andor and Kyrian and all the other nations. They all trade that direction. So it's not like it would be weird or anything, but I guess because they're not, quote unquote, a nation, it's more of a city state. But. um. Then we get some scouts come back and they're like, there's a village ahead. We're not seen, but it's directly ahead of us. And Ingtar's like, all right. They get close to it, but they don't go in quite yet. And they notice that like the house descriptions and everything, it's just this low wall sitting around the village and everything. And Rand notes that he doesn't see any people. Angtar's like, there's not even a dog in sight. And like, you sure they didn't see you? And one of the guys is like, not only they had the Dark One's own luck, we never even crested the rise. Nothing was moving when we looked at either. And Heron's like, what about the trail? And he's like, hey, towards the village, straight to it, as near as I can tell from here. And Angtar's like, all right, let's go in, but don't assume that they're friendly because they smile, if anyone is even there. Um, And as he heads down towards there with everyone following him, he eases his sword in a scabbard. And so does other people behind Rand. Um, and then Rand kind of like eases his out of his as well. He's like, well, trying to stay alive is not the same as trying to be a hero. And Perrin asks Ingtar if the people there would help dark friends. And the Shinaran doesn't really answer right away, but he does answer saying they have no great love for the Shinarans. Um, they they think we're we should be protecting them us or maybe the Kyrian or Kyrianan, but Kyrian did used to claim this land. But once the last king of Harden died, all the way to the Aranan, and they claimed it, but they couldn't hold it. And they gave up the claim nearly a hundred years ago. Though a few people who still live here don't have to worry about Trollocs really. They do have to worry about human brigands, which is why they have the wall and the ditch. Um, all the villages do with their fields hidden in hollows around here, but no one will live outside the wall and they wouldn't swear fealty to any king who'd give the, who, or they would swear fealty to any king who'd give them protection, but all we can do is against the Trollocs. So they don't really love us for it. So what, keep your eyes sharp. 
And they go in and not a single thing is living and is moving around. I'm like, all right. Huron's like, this is the same as at the ferry, but different. There was violence done. It was bad. It smells bad. And Ingtar sends out Uno to go search the houses. And if you find anything, bring them to the square. Don't frighten them this time. I want answers. Not people running for their lives. Um, and the soldiers, you know, set up in the middle of the center of town while Unu got his, you know, ten guys to go out. Um, they look around, and the whole village just seems lifeless. But he notices this door, and he just pushes into it. And it gets a little weird here. And you get this little description of what the room is, but there's some flies going around some, you know, turnips and peas and whatnot. And all of a sudden, as Rand steps inside, we get blink. Just out of nowhere. And then it describes a, a, a smiling, bald-headed man, rough clothes, um, getting some meat on a plate held by a, a woman with a worn face. And she's smiling, too. And there's the peas and the turnips added on the plate. And there's pass it to one of the kids at the table. And there's, like, six kids, boys and girls from... Nearly grown to barely tall enough to look at the table. And then she says something and the girl takes the plate and laughs. And then the man started to cut another slice. And then a girl screams and points at the door to the street. The man drops the carving knife world and he screams too. And then there's horror and all this stuff. And the woman grabs a kid. Most of the time they can get him out. And then they all scrabble towards the back of the room. And then the door bursts open and blink. And it's really hard to explain this stuff. Because it's it's so heavily descriptive, and we don't really do a whole lot of descriptions, because you can read them yourself, and it's it can be a really intense situation. But there's so many blinks, so Rand doesn't move, and the flies buzzing over the table sounded louder, and then he blinks again, and it repeats the the same phrase again, and then blinks again. And then Rand's like not sure what's going over. And the room seems colder. He feels like he needs to shiver. And flies are crawling all over the table. And he tries to grasp for the void. But blink. And then it goes through the whole thing again. They're all scrabbling forth. Door bursts open and blink. The room is extremely cold and fires black in the table and the walls are shifting mass of flies, the floor, the ceiling, everything's black with them. They crawl on Rand, covering him from head to toe in his, in his eyes and his nose and his mouth. I mean, I hope you're not eating right now because this is not a pleasant thing to do. Nah, it's uh, not. And Rand just feels really, really cold and the flies are buzzing like thunder and it's breaking the void and just encasing him in ice. And then his stomach twists and then he feels warm and hot. And then he's tearing at something, but he doesn't know what. Like cobwebs made of steel, moonbeams carved from stone. Everything crumbled at his touch, but he hadn't touched anything. They just shriveled and melted. And all of a sudden it's gone. And he looks around with wide eyes. And there's a few flies laying on the half-carved roast on the platter. Dead flies. Six flies. Only six. There were more in the bowls, half a dozen tiny black specks among the cold vegetables, all dead. He staggers out into the street, and 
Matt comes out of a different house across the street. And it's like nobody there talking to Perrin. But it looks like they got up in the middle of supper and walked away. And then there's a shout coming from the square. And Perrin's like, oh, hey, they found something. So the Matt scrambles into his uh, saddle and Jake goes after Perrin. And Rand mounts Red a little bit slower. And Red kind of shies away from him for a second as if he can feel his unease. He looks back at the house as he, you know, moves towards the square, but he couldn't make himself look at any of the other houses for long. It's like Matt went in one, nothing happened to him. And then he kind of picks up his pace a little bit and they uh, kind of heads back and sees like maybe there's an inn, this, that, and the other. It's just a village meeting place. Bunch of descriptions. Um, but then they see a man spread eagled across the doors with thick spikes through the wrists and shoulders. More spikes have been driven into his eyes to hold his head up. Dark, dried blood made f uh, fans down his cheek. Scuff marks of the wood behind him. His boots show that he had been alive when it was done, or at least when it was beginning. Um, and Rand catches his breath and is like, that's not a man. That black cloak, blacker than black, never been worn by any human. And the wind flapping at the end of the cloak caught behind the body, which did not always, and he knew it very well. There had never been any eyes in that pale, bloodless face. And he finally breathes the word, merge all. And then everybody again to move again and breathe. And Matt's like, who could do that to a fade? And his voice almost squeaks at the end of that. And Ingtar's like, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And I don't think that we will learn anything from here. We Let's let's head out of here. Here and find the trail of this place. And Karen's like, with pleasure. Let's go this way. They're still heading south. So they run away, they run away leaving a dead Merdral just hanging there with the wind stirring his black cloak. And Huron was first beyond the wall, not waiting for Ingtar. And Rand was really close to him as they left. So that's the end of a really crazy trap chapter. Like, yeah, no, right. This is one of those chapters I find one of the most difficult in the series because of mm -hmm. what happened. There, there are a couple of chapters like this in the entire series where there are issues like these blink things or flashes or something where you don't really understand what's going on your first read through. And even through multiple read throughs, you may still not understand. Like, I'm not even sure I fully understand it of what's going on. Just that it happened. And this could be the same thing with like eye of the world where eye of the world is, um, like it was written by Robert Jordan. And then he kind of, change things a little bit so some of the stuff doesn't feel like it adds up perfectly and i'm wondering if maybe he was doing that with the great hunt as well where he started with a concept or an idea and then he changed it because i don't really know where this is coming from where the blinks are coming from but it happened repetitively well i i'd be confident in saying that well like i have like my own interpretations of it and that basically because we know that like Rand is connected to the one power that I'm I'm just gonna say through it, he's effectively seeing events out of order. 
What do you mean out of order? It was the same thing over and over again. No, no, I mean, like, what he had seen had previously happened, but he's seeing it as if, like... Well, yeah, he's seeing it, but the, the question isn't that he's seeing it, yeah. because we know he's seeing it. But what we don't know is why he's seeing it. That's the real question, is because, is it something to do with the one power? Well, nothing we know of can do that would, with the one power. I would probably say that, like, it sort of almost kind of ties into the kind of like a primordial idea within, like, fantasy and, well, even, like, human culture, like, the idea of, uh, like, dark places and I think, like, places of tragedy, such as, you know, a family getting slaughtered during mealtime when every single one of them are, like, innocent and helpless i consider that to be like quite a dark place so maybe it's that and also maybe um if i remember correctly it was moraine that mentioned that the servants of the dark were not like carrying eaters or wait no i think that might have been that um um i think it like, was moraine was explaining that to them when they threw the rock at the raven that didn't move can't remember but i don't know i think like I can see like uh, the flies being like a, a major symbol here. Again, I might be reading something completely different, but I consider like maybe it's just a mixture of like kind of energies almost sort of causing different effects almost. I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy to sort of just leave this out as you like just a thing that it doesn't necessarily need to be explained almost, if that makes sense. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't know if anyone knows what is going on. Like maybe somebody claims they do or thinks they do, but I'm more akin to believe that there's going to be several people who think they know what's going on. And they're probably there. Each of their individual stories aren't going to line up enough to make it make sense. Maybe there's something yeah, in the, to, maybe there's something in the notes. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm going to say, I, like I said, the first read-through, you're not going to understand what it is. Like, I was completely lost I'm, at what was going well, on. It, it felt like a supernatural event, but there aren't many supernatural events in this series, if any, really. They always have a cost. I'm kind of almost happy to, you know, kind of hands off this. Just, um, you know, let this sort of thing be a thing. Like, I'm, I'm just happy to sort of just be like, yeah, this is a just a thing really just a random supernatural event which again not all supernatural events can be explained well again even in even in like a world with like fantastical elements such as you know the, the wheel of time or anything else really well i mean like it's There isn't really a supernatural aspect to the Wheel of Time. It doesn't have the same... Like, all supernatural issues. And maybe it, maybe it's a bubble of evil, which we'll learn about later on. But they don't begin to even bring them up until a bit later. Like, it could be a bubble of evil. And bubble of evils are pretty much bad stuff happens... Or it has a memory of something that happens or, you know, something that can kill a lot of people really quick, but before they dissipate, like a bubble, like it's a bubble that grows and then pops and then it's gone. 
but it's not mentioned here, so I don't know if that could possibly be it. There, there's, there's the one power is basically the supernatural aspect, like magic and stuff. But there's no alternate force besides the creator and the dark one that have the level of power to be able to do anything like that. And the dark one's bound, so he can only do it very, very briefly. And this would not benefit him at all to do this. And as far as I'm aware, the bubbles of evil haven't even started yet. So that doesn't make sense either. And the creator kind of just created everything and then just walked away from his creation. That's about as deistic as they can get about this. And Robert Jordan mentioned that deism was the thing that he wanted to implement into it. So that's, that is what it is, but what it actually is. Ah, uh, I don't know because Things like this happen several times in the series. They don't have explanations. Kind of like the whole Tom Bombadil thing. We don't have an explanation about Tom Bombadil. We just have theories and whatnot. And this see, would be the perfect thing see, to have like, a theory for, but we just don't know. See, the thing is, like, I'm, like, I am happy so it'll just leave stuff unexplained. Like, I, I don't need every aspect explained, but let it to be, like, a reason behind everything. Whereas, I, I, I don't know about you personally, but... Uh, you know, some some people sort of do need like every little, uh, little little detail explained and explored and everything like that. But I'm kind of just happy to sort of just kind of move on and be like, oh, that was the thing. Anyway, moving on. Well, I, I would agree, but at the same time, I would that also kind of needs to be read. I mean, it has to have at least some semblance of a reason based in the universe itself, if not directly in the words. Like, if we know, like, in Lord of the Rings, Aru Iluvatar touches the world, but in a way that you don't know it's him touching, but you know that he is capable, and he pushes things into motion for the outcome he wants. So, we know that, like, oh, this crazy you catastrophe happens. And they're like, oh, how could this be? And it's like, well, because Manway caused this to happen, but Manway caused it to happen because Aru Iluvatar wanted it to happen. Like, it's it's this weird thing where, like, we can look at it and say, okay, that was Iluvatar's hand at play. He set this up. He put things into motion for things to happen. Aru Luvatar is the logical choice and outcome because of how it was described and how it came to put. Like it's it's fantastic, masterful skill of writing by the author. Now we have masterful skill of writing by the author by Robert Jordan, but we don't have the explanation. We don't have like the creator has no reason to do anything. Like people mention the creator, but aside from mentioning him, he doesn't exist in this universe essentially yet. He, he might as well not, I should say. Like, he built the universe and left to go build more universes, I guess, or something. Like, he shows up, does something, and left. That That's it. He's not, he's not engaged with the universe. He's not engaged with the people and the characters in the story. He has no reason to choose to do or not do things. He He's completely just there. And everyone says, light protect us. There is no light actually protecting you. It's not like we have paladins from D&D calling down light from their, you know, particular deist uh, figures or whatever. And it's just like, 
that's that's not how this is. There are no god-like characters outside of the creator, and none of them have special powers. Like, there's the one power, and that's it. There's the wheel, which is just fate and time and existence. But that's it. And I I don't know what I'm supposed to expect out of this, I guess, is the real thing. So it's like, it's it's this big mystery. I love to hear people's thoughts on it, but I don't know what it's supposed to be. I can theorize, but there's other people that will meet, like characters will meet. There's other instances like this that will have things happen that we don't have explanations for. But then we have other things that we do have explanation for but the things that are the explanations are not present in this instance. So there's no way for us to be like, this is why this happened. It just happened. And we, it's, it literally has no explanation. So I guess we'll find out. <laughs> but um, what else did you think about this uh, chapter in general? Uh Again, I'm probably gonna sound like the broken record, but you know, I liked the chapter. Um, liked the, the just like, I did like to learn about the Aiel and also, I guess, just the. I don't know, it, it's something that I've been thinking about for quite a while, and sort of playing games like uh, Mountain Blade have sort of kind of highlighted it to me, like the the kind of act of going on campaign and kind of seeing like just like how the Shinarans do things and to like the outsider which i guess in the situation is the reader and also i guess matt and like the rest of the um uh oh, right the, the place has uh gone straight in my head um the three rivers you know, like the, the, the two, two rivers, rivers. <laughs> the three rivers <laughs> yeah. yeah the three rivers oh that's an extra one you just when, didn't know it when did that get here it's wake up one morning there's a river right to the middle of the town what the heck <laughs> and Eve, do you have anything about this? Moraine, did you cause a uh, whirlpool again? <laughs> but um, yeah, just from the outside like perspective, to sort of see the fact that they're capable of uh just like traversing such great like swaths of land at such a pace, and no, you know, like. I don't know. It, again, it's it's sort of like certain aspects that like uh certain aspects and details that like we as modern people have kind of forgotten. Because like here we're just here thinking about here, like, you know, our medieval battles, it's two two sides of formations, they run up and bash each and bash each other over the head with the clubs and stuff. But you actually have to remember that here, like you have to actually get to the battlefield and also you have you actually have to find the enemy forces and all that. So I get, I don't know, I get, again, it's all sort of just seeing like a very real aspect, which I kind of feel is sometimes kind of missing from fantasy. And uh, I just like to see that, really. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are some interesting concepts about, I don't know, the... <laughs> the overall chapter it's, itself is just like crazy but it's like we hear about these cool interesting historical effects about like the cities in these areas and explains why the map has empty spaces a lot of series yeah. wouldn't explain that 
So that's that's one of those impressive things. It's like, yeah, there used to be nations here. These are big deals, oh. but this is why they aren't there anymore. This is why the map looks empty in this area. Why hasn't a nation taken up residence? Like, to me, all I'd have to be is like, send some troops and send some stone and send some workers, build another city, have more territory, slowly creep over hundreds of years into other territories, have more people. It's not like the population isn't like booming because, you know, it's back in the olden days. Now they don't have a whole lot of extra entertainment except, you know, having more kids. That's <laughs> like literally their their favorite pastime. That's, that's for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean that I'm just being honest. I mean it's like yeah, no, back, no, no. back before ever, the internet, what do you think your parents did? If I have to wait every single year for a Gleeman to turn up. Yeah, it's like, what, what else and, are you going to do? Just work? Highlights the year, just... I mean, we know that families in the Two Rivers have freaking, like, huge families. It's like, okay, well, if that's the case, then all these cities and stuff could have families. And as far as I'm aware, they don't have any type of birth control or any way to stop natural procreation from taking its course like it's just there's no reason for them not to procreate and create more really <laughs> so it's like they they need all the men they can get especially when they're like especially at the borderlands where they're losing such large amounts of main manpower fighting trollocs and whatnot they have to constantly procreate in order to maintain a level of population to actually be able to consistently stay a borderland like we learned that from Malkier when Malkier got wiped out they lost too much of their fighting men to the point where they got easily washed over it's like if you're if you have a high population coming out then in a matter of years you have a whole nother set of fighting men to replace the ones that'll die of old age or die in battle so it's that's a constant cycle that they have to go through so it makes sense that they'd be able to like push into other territories over time like get a whole bunch of these towns that are you know walled and whatever and just have them band together and have their own nation or something like pick somebody have a currency system something 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 like there's there's ways to do it maybe they're not all intelligent enough to do it i don't know maybe they're not educated i don't i don't have any idea um, but all it takes is like one noble showing up and saying, you know, I like this place. I'll settle down here. Boom. That noble is now a king, queen or whatever. And just they have territory. No one's claiming it. So they have free reign to cut down forests, to build stuff, replant forests, dig iron mines, dig stone quarries. There's so much potential. It's the frontier. That's the whole point. But well, they don't do it. I don't I don't know. But we learn about the history of that area and stuff. But we also learn the history about the Aiel and everything. But then we get these crazy things like yeah. a Merjol being nailed through his eyeballs, where he doesn't even have eyeballs, uh, to uh, a actually, wall. I was going, going to get onto that. And like, yeah, we should probably talk about like the horror aspects of the chapter because I feel like I think like it strikes a perfectly good balance of creeping dread horror versus like quite literal, obvious horror if that makes sense like seeing flayed guys hanging from a tree and yeah all the skin know, ripped off of their a bodies cre a creature of nightmares nailed by the eyes or where the eyes should be to a door the eyes just, like, shoulders and everything yeah i just no just, I, the, 
just the whole thing of like okay this is like the whole escalating threat situation of like what are we dealing with if a if something can do that to a merge role yeah it's it's pretty crazy also this is this is purely like my um uh, my interpretation of things, but uh, when when it was talking about um, great what their names, uh, the the two uh, the two guys that were um, played, um, where they were across the Air- river Erdnan, you mean? No, no, I mean they like who they were. Oh, Chengu and Nadao. Yes. Um. Where when you described it like that, like uh. That, like Richter's grins, I, I kind of read that as if you're like the like up to like up to the cheekbones had been flayed, so it's just like bare teeth just being exposed because that's just extra horror, which is just yeah, which I can just fully imagine like Dark Friends or like Trollocs or Murdral doing because again you have to realize you are dealing with pure evil here they they would do something as horrendous as that well at this point would... i don't even think you know what you're dealing with you're assuming it but i don't think you know what you're dealing with well i'm going off here what information we have and unfortunately that's not actually that much well we'll get there don't worry oh goody <laughs> is there anything else about the chapter that tickled your fancy Well, at least, uh, at least, uh, Perrin and Matt are actually talking to Rant. That, that's at least something that's, uh, that's it's, development. It's, it's definitely getting better, but I wouldn't say it's like all the way there yet. Like, Perrin still kind of ignores I, I, Rand I in for- favor of Matt. I, I look forward to them finally being friends by the 15th book. <laughs> and then the end of the 15th book, Rand looks, or Perrin looks into Rand's eyes. <laughs> Matt actually answers a question that Rand asks. That'd be funny. Uh, anyway. Well, anything else before we wrap this up? No, I've got nothing else. Unless you have any talking points. I think I covered everything that I was thinking about as we went. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure we'll come to it at some point. But um, do you want to shill or do you want me to shill? Yeah, you can chill because I butchered it last time. <laughs> you sure you're not a trollic? Because you I'll, really I'll, butchered this. <laughs> I will fully admit that I butchered, uh, you know, I butchered it, but whatever. Hey, that's half the fun. Well, anyway, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. James and I really do appreciate it. Um, and we hope you guys will stick around for more episodes of the Tales of Road Arm podcast. Um, we also hope you guys will share it with your friends, family, coworkers, random strangers on the street, you know, sharpie on their foreheads, tattoo on their arms, whatever. Um, <laughs> don't actually do that. <laughs> At least the tattoo. Yeah, we we sharpie don't part. promote actual physical assault. Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe a pepper. I, I don't it's, know. It's not, it's not that we actually have to iterate that. But... Yeah. Well, we should not have to, because if they don't understand what sarcasm and jokes are, then... You clearly came to the wrong podcast. Um, but anyway, uh, we do hope you guys enjoyed the, the read-along slash uh, in-depth dive of everything we've been doing so far. And we hope you guys continue 
supporting us by listening to our episodes and sharing it around and everything. And um, if you are willing to join our communities, we'd also greatly appreciate that as well. Um, so we can get to know you guys a little bit better and have some more fun with some special topics and whatnot. Uh, I know we don't have a huge following, but thank you to those who stick around and uh, give us your time. But on that note, I will uh, give you ways to contact us and ways to find us on the interwebs. So uh, you can find us on, well, through Gmail directly. So you can Gmail us at talesofroadarm at gmail.com. Um, if you ever want to talk to us in private or set up a conversation starters, or if you have questions or really anything for any reason, um, just it's just another form for you to contact us if you'd like to. Um, also, we have Twitter and Facebook. Um, Twitter is at Tales of Red Arm, and Facebook is just Tales of Red Arm. Um, both of those have our Discord uh, server information in it as well, so you can con con or gain access and contact us through our Discord. Um, come talk to us in a room, or if we're around or something, and if you know whatever happens, you can just have a good time. Um, but also if there's any future incidences where we can be like, yeah, we have a question coming up by somebody or there's somebody wants to participate in a particular chapter or something, we can probably bring somebody on and, you know, just have fun with you guys. Uh, I think it'd be really, 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 really fun for everyone. Um, but also, uh, just, we want to hear your questions. We want to be able to interact with you guys a bit more and. Uh, find ways to do that and build a bigger community where we all have more fun that way and enjoy the books as much as possible. So uh, thanks again for hanging out with us and we hope you guys will join us on chapter 11 of The Great Hunt and I think it'll be pretty fun. So thanks for hanging out, guys. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls we'll spend our pay And when we're done then we'll await To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And snuggle the girls be they short or tall And follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And snuggle the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the mags it could be worse And ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah! 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 Yeah!